This is the Roaring Elephant podcast for the 1st of September, and here is my barely contained co-host, Jon. Well, I broke out of the jail last episode, so you're not going to contain me anymore now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear, such terrible, terrible jokes. How are you doing, Jon? Uh, I worked hard on that joke, so now I'm totally down. Well, we, you can put your uh, your feelings of despondence and disappointment in a container and you can throw them away. <laughs> oh, so many container puns throughout this episode, I'm sure. Yes, well, I'm going to let you do the honours. I mean, I did the introduction the last couple of months, so you can do this one now. It's the 1st of September. Winter has begun, obviously. Since winter is coming and we're expecting the White Walkers soon. <laughs> But this so, is the episode yes, where we finally make it make through. At last. So it's only taken us three episodes, but we're finally going to talk about containers. <laughs> it's a big I mean, subject. We, it is, it is. And we, we did decide that we would do a little bit of a, uh, a history lesson to get here. Because I, I, I do think, as we touched on last episode, this is... So we started this uh, this epilogue, this series, saga. this saga. Oh God! Talking about virtualization, which was was the first step along this road. We so I, I mentioned it last episode. Virtualization was uh, an improvement over running everything on bare metal, but it was still seen as having a lot of limitations as being too heavyweight, too difficult to manage at scale, lots of other challenges there. Then we explored the other avenues of um, sort of cheroots and uh, jailing systems. And that was pretty much the opposite end of the spectrum. We had uh, greater flexibility, greater efficiencies, but we also lost a lot of flexibility that you had from virtualization around guest OSs and you know, significantly better security. So here now we're finally getting to containers, which I think are widely regarded, I would say, as being sort of a good compromise, a good middle ground between the the aspects of a virtualization on one end and um, cheroots and jails on the other end. It's not a perfect system by any means, and it it can actually, I think it can still be abused in many of the same ways that uh, both virtualization environments and Cheroot-based environments can be abused if, you, if you're not doing this properly. But it's, uh, it's, it's definitely been a step in the right direction. I think the adoption of container-based solutions, services, and the, the plethora of different options that we have now that rely on this have uh, have seen that uh, come to the forefront. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definite that there's no silver bullet perfect solution. And that's why I thought it was good that we did the whole history lesson over the number of episodes now. Because the only way to be able to choose which solution is good for you, be it virtualization, containerization, or jails, or LXC, or whatever you want to call them there, is if you actually understand where it grow and why did things have changed and migrated from one situation to another situation. Because again, it depends very much on your use case if containerization is useful. 
Uh, in this episode, we're going to be talking more in depth about containers themselves. The orchestration layer is going to be for probably the next episode. Um, but if you're like me, with a single application server that I'm the only one logging into, needing to run a number of things, jails can be more than enough for you. If you want to go multiple types of OS, guest, guest OS uh, clients, you shouldn't go to containerization. If you're going straight for a different kind of thing, which we're going to talk about today, then containers become uh, the main attraction at that point. And being able to make an informed choice between the three and more than three, because there's a lot of variation even above and beyond that. Again, having the knowledge, information, where this all came from, why decisions were made, that's what makes it important and interesting. Yep, very much so. So containers, I'm going to drop back to my beautiful visual aid here. Because this was mainly a differentiation between virtual machines and containers. Jails are more to the right, let's say, because jails don't have what's called a container engine in this picture. And the container engine is what's adding the things that were missing to the jails, let's say. And that's that isolation, that security layer, if you like to. But it also gives portability, which was available for virtualization, a lot less for jails. The disadvantage of the jails being very tightly integrated with your host OS was that it's harder to plug it out. Um, but containers kind of solved that. And personally, actually, I think that the portability of, let's name it a Docker container now, because, because there are different types of containers, but Docker is the most well known there uh, at the moment, I think. I think the portability and the possibility of having things like Docker repositories where you can just, just like with the old virtual machines, plug a Docker image somewhere, public repo, put it on your own environment and run it without having to do anything. That was the main reason, the main cause for the popularity of containers, I think, more than the, the isolation security. Yeah. I think there are there are a few other things around it that probably influenced this. We saw we saw a range of of exploits. I remember the uh, awesomely named um, "Dirty Cow" vulnerability that came out that I think caused a lot of people to rethink just how much they could rely on previous approaches to, to what they were doing. We saw in in and around this same kind of um, timeline, we saw DevOps coming more to the forefront. Mm-hmm. We saw DevSecOps also start to be something that people cared about where it wasn't just dev and ops collaborating but the infosec teams also collaborating and having a a reduction in the the time to market if you like or reduction in the time um time to develop new updates new releases and the the sort of again rise and rise i guess of of continuous integration continuous deployment uh, systems that were then also hooked into these, you know, container build farms, and you would just—we're getting sort of 
down the down the line we'll start to talk about uh, orchestration and deployment and that sort of things but to me all of these things started to happen at the at the same sort of time they were all their influences are all very intertwined at least to me yeah i agree so with with containers there were a number you mentioned that you know most people think containers they think docker but there was actually a, a variety of different sort of container systems uh, back at the, you know back originally right yes and i think mainly docker is so prevalent because uh looking at orchestrators you obviously had the docker swarm and they had kind of a nice complete ecosystem you had one open source-ish kind of place where you could download the whole stuff and make it run. And because the container was the same vendor as the orchestration layer, it all worked very nicely together. And then mm -hmm. you had Mesos also pick up uh, Docker as their main uh, container thing. But actually, I think Google never was that happy, or I'm, I'm not sure if they're happy or unhappy. There's no sentiment involved here. But they weren't really... Uh, flag bearers for Docker per se. Uh, I took a look at their website at the documentation there, and there's a thing, a little uh, snippet there. Kubernetes supports several container runtimes, Docker Container D C R I O, which personally I didn't know about, and any implementation of the Kubernetes uh, container runtime interface. So basically, um, and we'll talk about containers in a later part of this uh, saga, <laughs> but the kind of container you're running is more and more going to be dictated by the orchestration layer you're using and the tighter integrated with that orchestration layer, the better your environment will probably run and perform. Since Docker Swarm was the original orchestrator that was prevalent, Docker got uh, the, the most noise. But over time, and we've had already a couple of news episodes, I think, where we talked about Docker uh, divesting parts, uh, changing things, getting gobbled up, whatever. They have kind of lost the the, the, the the leader role within the environment, let's say. And a lot of other things are coming up. Another one that comes up a lot for me is the RKT or Rocket from CoreOS, yep. which is used a lot. Uh, I've seen that one happen coming up a lot when people are very Debian-oriented and want it all to be open source and divested from any kind of commerciality. I guess it's a use, but for me, CoreOS is more about having a very minimal footprint there. But again, there's a lot of different ways of doing this. And again, as long as it can interoperate or integrate with the orchestration that you're running, you shouldn't be afraid to use whatever you're, is running. Again, as we've talked often when you talk about open source, look around what are other people using, which knowledge can you steal, borrow and uh, use to make your environment run best. And if that is Docker... Sure, go with Docker. If it's something else, go with something else. But I do think at the moment, if you're looking at that portability, most of the images you can download uh, and reuse are still Docker-based. And I don't think that's going to change very quickly. Yeah, yeah, I would say that's very, very, very true. The, the other thing that containerization um, much... And again, we're, we're, we're jumping around, so join us in the time machine here. But one thing I think containerization changed as well on the, at the very least, the Linux 
space and it may be prevalent elsewhere but I, it's not something that I'm particularly aware of and this is just coming to me really as we're talking about this but we've also started to see things like desktop applications be bundled as containers so on Linux distros there's you know there's currently three competing <laughs> different formats because of course there is um, so there's app image there's snap and there's flatpak and they all have similar sort of options there are definitely different differences behind them um, you know some of them are more more led by one or more organizations some of them are are very community based and some of them have you know just one major organization behind them there's sort of different elements to whether they can handle uh, so they can all handle desktop GUI based apps they can all handle CLI based apps but not all of them are targeted at server processes or uh, or you know things like that it's it's very it's an interesting space for for Linux that I, my understanding and my, my knowledge of, of you know, the Mac world is very, very limited, I, despite having used it for sort of five years at one particular uh, employer. It's not something that I spend a great deal of time or effort in and, and, and not something I know a great deal about. But I, I believe their application sort of packaging uh, method, sort of largely referred, is quite similar. It, it's the their applications are uh, are also kind of application images as if you like rather than um, rather than just you know installing a whole bunch of binaries scattered across a file system so I, I do think containerization has started to change the way that we are interacting with or are able to interact with our own systems and update our own systems we we starting to see the ever this sort of evolution at least on the the linux um sort of certainly the linux desktop and i think in linux and the in the server space as well it's starting to edge into that where you're you're cutting down and separating your application life cycles from your um, from your underlying OS life cycles, and it, it's it, it's a bit of a diversion from what we, what we certainly what I was originally thinking we were talking about. But I do think it's it's sort of an interesting parallel here. Yeah, I mean, for people that are using a Windows system, that's pretty much hell when you install a package program application and you ever want to remove it again. It's pretty much impossible. Files are strewn everywhere, uh, registry entries. I mean, it's, it's the, <laughs> the worst post, uh, poster child of the whole portability part, let's say. Now, on Linux, There's a reason that the phrase DLL hell still, uh, still is out this, there. This is even apart from DLL hell. It's just being able to, when I want to delete this thing, I want to make sure it's gone. There's actually a bunch of freeware and paid for uh, applications you can buy to do just that. And that shouldn't be that hard. And on Linux, they kind of solved or try to solve that by having a standard for which directory you should use. But it's a honor system, let's say, if the the package, uh, the, the person that packages the application doesn't follow the rules, then yeah, there's not much you can do about it except say that they're a bad person. 
the Apple version because they kind of jail their solution in subdirectory-based things. It's good and bad because on the one hand, it's easy to delete an application because, well, you delete that one directory and it's pretty much all gone, not <laughs> entirely, and things are getting worse, sadly. Mm-hmm. The disadvantage is that you end up with copies of files in different places because if you install two Java-based applications that bring their own Java with them, you have now installed two copies of Java, which are probably identical. So it's always going to be a problem there. Yeah, yeah. But it it, it has also led to... And this, I think when, we, when we're talking about containers, you can't talk about containers without cycling back through DevOps and CICD in my in my mind. They're all very, mm-hmm. as I said earlier, very closely linked. And one of the things that is is prevalent in this, and it's one of the the real differentiators between the sort of the old school virtualization mindset and the the container approach, you know, at least the, the purest way to do it, is Containers probably have quite a short lifetime in a lot of cases. You don't, in an ideal world, in in the purest world, you don't patch a container, you don't update a container. You, You blow that container away and it's replaced by a new container that contains the new build, which contains all the changes. And you're, you're doing that on a very regular basis. Um, you know, many, many production platforms, cloud platforms that people are, are consuming, you know, every day are updated sometimes multiple times during a day. And to the user, there's, there's no awareness or even visibility into that fact. They just see a portal in a web browser that they interact with. And for all they know, it's been the same version for all the time that they've been using apart from some theme changes, but chances are it's shifting at a, at a continual basis. And the ability to do that is only really available uh, or is only made easily available to uh, to people through the use of containers. Yeah, I mean, containers are definitely part of the cattle versus uh, pets thing. Yes. Very, very yeah. tightly to the cattle part. And the reason that containers very short-lived is, on the one hand, upgraded and failures and things like that, but also auto-scaling. Containers yes. are very portable. They need to be very independent and complete, self-sufficient, uh, loosely coupled to the rest of your software architecture, so that when I go to that website and it's very busy at that moment, a couple of extra containers get spun up, load balanced uh, with a load balancer in front of it, and you just increase your bandwidth, your possibility to respond to calls from uh, from users, customers, whatever, consumers. And that's only possible by having containerization that encapsulates both the operating system and also a lot of the, uh, the rest of the uh, network infrastructure, security rules around it. And that's actually where containers start falling short again, because if in these circumstances you need something above a layer above that, that makes sure that all of this rapidly shifting 
uh, swamp of, of containers <laughs> is actually running the way you want to be running it. And that's uh, when we, in a couple of minutes go, in a couple of episodes, let's call it, let's be honest, uh, talk yeah. about orchestration layers there. Now, I do want to hark back to something said earlier there when you said that uh, containers are getting more prevalent on the desktop. I do think, and correct me if I'm wrong, that at the moment, mm. most Docker containers are very much in the server sphere, where yeah. if you want to run a web server or a database or a... I mean, the last time I downloaded a container actually was when a online course I followed on one of those platforms. They had a lab environment, which you could download as a Docker image and use... I thought it was Vagrant. I don't know, you yeah. run that Docker image and that had a web, uh, it wasn't a full Nginx or Apache web server, but had a web front end, let's say, which you then from your desktop could open a browser towards to have your Jupyter notebook running and things like that. So all of these Docker, I haven't really seen Docker images uh, or any kind of Docker containers that contain a um, GUI, desktop, Windows, uh, GNOME, KDE, whatever you want to call it, in the virtual machine world, that's actually quite prevalent to have full desktops virtualized and the whole VDI, virtual desktop interface, uh, things that are running on top of Citrix and other things are built on virtualization, but not on containerization because at the moment having that kind of monitor connection, keyboard and mouse connection to your Docker environment, I don't think it's impossible. Sharing graphics cards is feasible because a lot of the uh, CUDA-based machine learning running Docker containers, so that's not an issue. It's more the connection, the, the, the last mile, let's say, from that graphics card USB port to a physical monitor keyboard mouse. I haven't seen that really in action anywhere. I have seen very early stages of that. I, okay. it's, not a, it's not a space that I am... Um, particularly yeah, connected <laughs> to anymore but i i i have seen um you know thin client devices connecting with kubernetes based containerized desktops it's not something that is um i don't think it's something that's terribly commonplace i do I do see a number of, or I have seen a number of startups sort of exploring that space, but I don't think it's terribly common yet. I mean, it's but yeah, I think, I think the, you're right, the, the, the desktop use of containers is more specific. It's, it's more like the, as I said, that like the app image, the snap, the flat pack, at least on, on Linux, it's, it's less about the, about, as you say, you know, running a Docker image on your desktop. Yes, there are edge cases, like you mentioned, your training course. Often, often it's not unusual for organizations to provide a Docker image for something that, you know, if you're a software engineer or developer or something along those kind of lines, you may well have a, you know, a, either just you know, using Docker locally to spin up stuff that you develop against or whatever, or, you know, maybe you've got a, a a mini cube or a, or something else that you're using to just spin up a few things on a local machine. But for the or most the part, yeah, I, I agree. It's yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it's not really, it, it's not really the same thing. The, the, the Docker images that most people are thinking about and using and consuming 
at least in the enterprise space, you're right. It's all about the the server based side of things. Uh, you also interesting mentioned uh, install Docker locally or Minikube, and those are actually two different things, right? Because the Minikube is yep. much more in the orchestration layer, but the Docker yep. is also already a kind of mini orchestration layer, which you need to have installed in order to run those Docker containers. And that's where yep. you kind of move away from the flexibility from the jails. Jails are just something, it's part of the kernel, you just shoot into an environment, you've got a jail, C groups, and it's all done. If you want to use a Docker container, you need to run the Docker, can I call it server uh, server software, uh, to yep. make the uh, almost para-virtual driver connectivity from this thing running inside the Docker image with the underlying host hardware and software. And that's where you're uh, in the middle between the virtual machines and the jails, where you still need to install. It's not a hypervisor, it's lighter than that, but you do need to have that middleware, maybe that's a better word, running, to be able to run those Docker containers on top of it. And that makes it harder to deploy on the one hand, because to be honest, on the system I'm using here, I don't have Docker installed. If I wanted to run one of those Docker containers, I would have to do extra steps. Now, luckily, that's made easy. And of course, this is valid for all the containers. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're using Docker or Rocket, you will need that middle layer to make that a container run in your environment. But that's the uh, negative part of the step going from jails, LXC containers to uh, a Docker environment. Yeah. And yeah, because because I, I like a little bit of history, if we think about Docker starting off in 2013 with its kind of LXC-based roots, it, it took a number of years for that to really really gain any traction and it it's a little bit strange to think about that now in in 2020 it feels like containers have been a part of our life for a very long time and some of that i think is just recency bias and 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 the the way that our minds work but it really wasn't until sort of 2017 which again doesn't feel like a very long time ago that I would say containers were more mature and it's 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 taken about that length of time for a lot of the the tooling to develop the um, and I'm not even talking about necessarily orchestration that we will get to later but just tooling for building containers for maintaining containers yes for scheduling and orchestration as well but having a, a common understanding that a container isn't just a isn't just virtualization rebranded that that education process i think is still ongoing for some organizations i don't think everybody is is quite there yet but i do i do think that it's been a it it's been an evolution and i think that around a similar sort of 2000s you know you can argue about the exact date maybe it was 2016 17 maybe even 18 for for you or your organization or whatever but it's taken around about that sort of length of time for something like kubernetes to become like the de facto standard for 
the the sort of orchestration. I know we're not getting into that side yet, but it containers on their own are interesting, but not terribly useful. And it takes it takes the adoption of other other things that support this, like the incredible rise of microservices and the orchestration that goes alongside that. So it feels to me like the we started off this this journey talking about virtualization and to me virtualization is relatively simple relatively cut and dried um, as we move through to to truths and 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 jails that sort of still stays relatively simple and relatively cut and dried as to why we're doing it, why it happens, what the benefits, what the pros and cons, and and sort of the the story is relatively contained. But as we move into this container world, it I don't know why it is, but it feels to me like all of a sudden there's an explosion of relatively closely related disciplines that all like if you pulled out any one piece of this story. I, I think the the whole rest of the adoption curve would completely collapse. I think any any of these pieces uh, are really critical to the trajectory that we that we've now seen. Whether it's DevOps, maybe DevSecOps slightly less, but I still think it's a pretty important piece of the puzzle. Um, the containerization itself, the orchestration. Um, the rise of microservices like i think all of these things together build what we see now as as this sort of uh, this brand new ecosystem I know, what yeah. what I've, I've talked a lot what do you think <laughs> i put myself big here haha uh, <laughs> now i mean one of the, the the very nice things about or nice remarkable things about uh, docker environments container environments which lead to microservices is that the orchestration layers are also pretty much a microservice ecosystem in itself. And for me, one of the reasons it took to until 2017 for it to really become mainstream, a large part of that was the network setup. Because having early container environments, it was horrendously hard to get a network environment set up that was auto-repairing because we talked about how containers disappear, reappear, new container comes up, new IP address comes up, and it just couldn't pick it up. It just couldn't have that. Um, the one other thing I want to spend a little time on is mm-hmm. you said there's no utility on Docker containers except for an orchestration. There is one, and that's an important one, and that's for development. And with Docker environments, because you can have the exact same environment in development and in production, because you're just moving a Docker environment, you're actually able to fully test your development, finished version, whatever, as if it was production, because the place it'll run in, doesn't matter if it goes from a a desktop to a server, doesn't matter. It's the same Docker environment, so you can actually do a lot better testing in environment and be fairly confident when you do throw it over the hedge, it's still not perfect, but you're a lot closer mm. to production. And that already helps. It's not totally 100% <laughs> as easy as that, but it does make a yeah. big difference in development. It's a lot different from having yeah. it runs on my laptop, now it's your problem. It runs in my Docker container under the same version. 
as in production, yeah. you should have a lot less issues uh, moving I, it over. So, yes, but I think I think that's overly simplifying things because the Docker container is just one piece of the puzzle. In the majority of cases, it's not just a Docker container. It's a whole slew of Docker containers sure. that make up an entire microservices architecture. Yeah. And that's the that's the piece that, that uh, most people can't, can't run an entire production microservices architecture on their desktop for development processes. No, but it does make it easier because if the deliverable of a developer becomes not a program application with a bunch of files, but a Docker image, then you're kind of forced to have a nice API discussion set up yeah. so that you know that Docker container X needs to talk to Docker container Z. Well, this is the language, the API, the REST API, whatever they will be using to do it. And you can actually isolate and black box develop, whatever you call it. Uh, it, it it's a step in the right direction. It's not solving yeah. all the problems, but it does make it easier. And I do think it's, a, it's useful at that point there. Fair enough. Now, before we go any deeper into the actual uses of this stuff and orchestration, uh, we did talk about containers, so I am happy we can no longer call this a clickbaity <laughs> title. And it wasn't. It was just, we started we started this actually as thinking, this is one quick episode, we'll be done with it. Uh, we should know better, I guess. Uh, unless you have anything else to add. I do not. You it has not. started raining here, which if you pick that up, I apologize. <laughs> um, I do not. My fan makes a lot of noise. But since it's raining, we have to call it a day. You can support the podcast. You can become a patron. Every contribution helps. We are on YouTube, as you can clearly see. Or here, if you're not looking at us on YouTube, then we're on YouTube. You can like, subscribe, hit notification bell, do the YouTube stuff. You can go to www.roaringoff.org for a link to our Patreon page. And more information about podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter using the at Roaring Elephant tag. And you can send your feedback to podcast at RoaringElephant.org. Until next time, my name is I'm not the last one that got the Twitter tag wrong. Jon. And my name is I am now contained Dave. And with that beautiful news, we look forward to talking to you next week. Goodbye. See you then. <laughs> <laughs>